It's a pleasure to see everyone here this morning. If I don't know you, uh, my name is Nick. I'm one of the elders here at the church, and, uh, and I have the uh, outstanding privilege this morning of preaching from John chapter 10. Uh, this is one of my personal favorite texts in all of the Bible. Um, it, it, it encourages me and reminds me who I'm following and, and that we don't follow men, right? We don't follow the, the, the words of men, but we follow our shepherd. So um, I'm going to read. We're going to be in John chapter 10, like I said, so please open your Bibles if you got them. We're going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to read through verse 21, and then we're going to pray for our time together here. God's inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient word says this, I am the good shepherd, and good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said to him, he has a demon, and he is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's God's word. Would you pray with me? God, your word is so good. Your sheep need it. You feed us from your word. And every soul in this room this morning needs to be fed from your word. We pray this morning that you would reveal to us the beauty, the excellence of our good shepherd. For he is the reason that we are here this morning. And it is his, in his name we pray. Amen. So, we are in the book of John. We've been in the book of John for, this is the fourth week now. And the, we are studying the I am statements of Christ. And what we decided and why we wanted to do this was, 
if you know, the first four weeks of every year, we go through our vision series. We, we, we kind of recast our, our, our vision of what discipleship should look like. And, and we want to make more disciples, right? Amen? We wanna, we wanna continue to grow people and grow the sheep in their faith. And so we thought that it would be really good. We, we think the Lord is going to allow us to continue to grow. We, we, we believe that God is, that, that our shepherd is leading us to do more things, right? And, and we thought that what better way to do that after our vision series than to put Big Jesus in front of the people, right? This, these I am statements are, are, are massive statements from Jesus, right? So we talk often about how Jesus was like us. He was a human. But, but we need to remember Jesus is God. He is also fully divine. He is fully God, but he is fully man. And he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we wanted to bring before you big Jesus. And these are his statements that he is making of his deity, that he is God. And make no mistake, people will say, scholars will say, secular people will say, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. Yes, he did. And they tried to kill him multiple times for it, right? The Jews knew what he was saying, and if they didn't, they wouldn't have tried to kill him multiple times, Okay, so, so let's be clear. Jesus is claiming to be God, okay? I have broken this text up into, we're, we're gonna go back to chapter nine and see something in just a minute. But I've broken the text into four sections. I'm gonna give you those sections and, and my names that I gave to them uh, right now. So section number one is verses 11 through 13, I've named this section the false shepherds versus the good shepherd, okay? Section two, I've labeled this section why Jesus is the good shepherd. Number three, verses 17 and 18, I've labeled this section the atoning death and the victorious resurrection of the good shepherd. And then verses 19 through 21, I've labeled that the good shepherd wields a sword. The good shepherd wields a sword. So, first section, false shepherds, good shepherd, okay? But in order to get us where we wanna go, I want us to go back to chapter nine really quickly because I believe at the end of chapter nine, we see a perfect example of the, of the tension between or the differences between false shepherds or the hired hands that we're gonna see and the good shepherd. I believe that there is, this is an epitome of the difference between the two in, in the, at the end of chapter nine. Remember, Jesus has just healed a blind man Born from, born from birth, at, he was blind, but easy for me to say, right? He was born blind from birth, and Jesus heals him on the Shabbat, the Sabbath, okay? And this threw the Jewish leaders into madness, okay? We're gonna pick up in verse 32. In verse 32 of chapter nine, it says, this is the, this is the healed blind man, the blind man who's been healed, this is him talking, He's having a conversation with the Pharisees. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. 
if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Pharisees answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. This man that they should have celebrated that he now ha has eyes and he, to see. He now, he's been healed and they should be rejoicing with him. But what do they do? They blame, him, they blame him for his blindness. They blame his blindness on his own sin. And Jesus has already said it's not because of his sin that he was born blind. But the Pharisees are saying, no, you're a sinner and it's proven by your blindness. But then they, then they said, so, but you're, you're gonna, you, you think you can teach me something? You're a sinner. You think you got something for me? I'm a Pharisee, man. And they cast him out. The picture of being cast, I, I just, there, there's a saying with sheep, if they're cast, what happens when a sheep gets cast is they maybe like need to like scratch something on their side or something. So they kind of roll on their side and are maybe scratching, but they keep working themselves to where they're flat on their back and their feet are in the air. And, one, and, when, and when that happens, they, they die. They, can, they cannot get back to their feet. It's impossible for them to get back to their feet. So, so they're literally just sitting upside down with their feet in the air, and they have no way to get back on their feet. That's what the Pharisees viewed this man as. That's why they cast him out, is because they just viewed him as a useless sheep that was just upside down, that was good for nothing. That's what the Pharisees did. That's the false shepherds. Those are the hired hands of the people of Israel. Now let's see what the good shepherd does. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, let's stop right there. So the Pharisees cast him out. But the good shepherd sought him out. He came and found him. That's the difference between the false shepherds and the good shepherd, is the good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes to the one. That's exactly what he does here. That's exactly what Jesus does. He hears that the Pharisees have cast him out, and he goes and seeks him out and finds him. What an amazing shepherd. And look what he, look what he says to the man. He says, do you believe in the son of man? 36, he answered, and who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, the blind man who was healed, who had been cast out by the Pharisees, said to the, to the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. That's the picture. That's the picture that we're gonna see False shepherds, hired hands that care nothing for the sheep versus the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So let's start verse 13, section number one, the good shepherd versus the false shepherds. Okay, we've already kind of seen it that we just talked about, okay? First half of verse 11, let's just read verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In the statement that Jesus makes here, I am the good shepherd, he is, he is, we see three things about who Jesus is, okay? Number one, as we've said, I am, 
that we've talked about it every week. That goes back to Exodus chapter three, where Moses is having a conversation with God and he asks God, who are you? Who should I tell the people sent me? And God says, I am, right? I am sent, tell them I am sent you. So Jesus is clearly claiming deity. So he claims, the de- we see the deity of Christ. And number two, we see the exclusivity of Christ. Jesus, Jesus didn't just say, I am a way, right? He didn't just say, I am a piece of bread. He didn't just say, I am a ray of light. He didn't just say, I am a door of the sheep. Nope. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the door to the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life next week. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is claiming exclusivity here. There is no other way. There is no other way. He's the, he's it. He's not the, he's I am. He's the. And number three, we see the excellence or the beauty of Christ. Good can be translated a couple of different ways in the Greek. This this word for good means beautiful or excellent. Setting himself above any other shepherd. Right? They've had shepherds. Israel's had shepherds throughout their entire history. Right? It goes back to when they wanted a king. God was going to be their shepherd. He was going to be their king. But they wanted a, they wanted a king like the nations. Right? They've always had false shepherds, okay? which are ultimately pointing us to the good shepherd. Right? And it has always been God's intention, always been his intention to be the shepherd of his people. It always has been. I have a few verses I want to put up there. And I, I love singing Psalm 23 because what, we're, what Psalm 23 is, is fulfilled right here in John chapter 10, right? It's fulfilled right here in John chapter 10. Uh, Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd, right? If you'll put, please, Isaiah 40, 11 up there. He, God, will tend his flock like a shepherd, He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jeremiah, if you put the Jeremiah up there, please. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Bless you. If you'll look, please, at Ezekiel 34, verses 11 and 12. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search out for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. You see, God has always, it has always been his intention to be the shepherd of his people. 
Look at the second half of verse 11. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, the second, I want to talk about the second great awakening for a minute. There was a man in the second great awakening who was a preacher. His name was Charles Finney, okay? He's a heretic, okay? But in the second great awakening, he began to preach a message of the crucifixion that Jesus was only a good example of selflessness, that that's what the crucifixion was about. The crucifixion was just about how we need to try and be better. We just need, we need to try and be better, and we need to try and be like Jesus because Jesus is selfless. And, and by the way, that has infiltrated evangelicalism today. I mean, I, I teach seventh grade, and I, and I have kids that think that Jesus was just a good example, that him dying on the cross was just for, for us to see what selflessness looks like. Let me say this. If Jesus was only a good example, we're all hosed. We are in deep poo-poo. That's just the bottom line. Because, sorry, none of you can live like Jesus. I can't live like Jesus. It's not possible. We're sinners. If we could live like Jesus, we wouldn't need Jesus. Jesus is not just a good example. That can't be the case. How beautiful a picture that this shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And, it's, and let's, let's be clear, that word for, though it's a very small word, it's a necessary word. That word for points to substitutionary atonement. He laid his life down for, in behalf of, the sheep. That means either the sheep are going to die or he's going to die. There is no in-between. Substitutionary atonement lies in the word Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. Anybody got pets? Pets? Love, I love our pets. We got three. Crimson? Our chocolate lab mix, she had this thing on her eye that kept getting bigger. So we took her to the vet, right? And you, you, what do you do for your pets? Well, you take them to the vet and you spend $700 to get a cyst removed off of the, the poor dog's face. And she has to walk around with the cone of shame, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so what... There's this video going around that I saw uh, on, the, uh, on some, I don't know, social media. I don't really know. I don't really get on social media that much. But it was a guy whose dog was getting attacked by a kangaroo, okay? <clears throat> and and <clears throat> the guy gets his dog away from the kangaroo. But, but then what happens after that is phenomenal, right? <laughs> this guy... This guy squares up with the kangaroo. I'm, I'm telling you, go find it. This, this guy squares up with the kangaroo, and he dots this kangaroo right in the face, punches this kangaroo. I was, it's just a phenomenal sight to see. Right? And like, I don't know why that came to my mind when we're talking about Jesus being the good shepherd, but it just, 
it was emblematic, right? That's emblematic of, of a shepherd-sheep relationship in the first century. It was a very close and loving and intimate relationship between a shepherd and his sheep, right? And, and that, that, that tells us why David was willing to go and fight a bear and a lion in order to save the sheep, right? It's because he loved the sheep. Just like in a similar way to we, we love our pets to where, you know, we're willing to fight kangaroos when they come after our dogs. <laughs> right? But ultimately, David going and, and fighting a bear and a lion to protect his sheep, ultimately, that's pointing us to Jesus. Ultimately, that's pointing to how Jesus saves his sheep and what he's willing to do to bring his sheep into the fold which is he's willing to substitutionarily atone for them. He lays down his life for the sheep. But this is prophesied. We know from Isaiah 53 that there is a prophecy about the, the suffering servant, but let's t talk specifically about the shepherd. If you'll put Zechariah chapter 13 up there for us. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man who stands Next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Jesus quoted that from Zechariah. He quoted it at the Last Supper. He quoted it before he went to the garden of Gethsemane. Right? Jesus told his apostles that he was going to be the fulfillment of Zechariah 13.7 where the shepherd would give his life for the sheep. So, so we've seen the, the good shepherd. Now let's give, take a couple of minutes and look at the false shepherds, right? So this, this thing, this, uh, this tension, even hatred between the Jewish leaders and Jesus has been building, right? It's been bubbling under the surface and now it's exploding, Right? He called them sons of the devil. Right? He told them that they're doing the devil's work in, back in chapter 7. Right? So it's, 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 it's starting to get really serious. And right now, in verses 12 and 13, he's putting his finger in the chest of the Pharisees, and he's telling them what they really are, which are false shepherds of the people of Israel. Okay? Verses 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. Please underline, own the sheep, because we will come back to that. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. Right. Israel has been full of worthless shepherds. Right? Oftentimes, their kings would lead them into idolatry, worshiping other gods. Very few of them were actually willing to take down those idols. And even fewer of them were willing, to, even the good ones, even the ones that said they fought, they were, they did what was right in the sight of the Lord, they didn't even take down the high places most of the time. Right? So they've, history has, Israel has a history of worthless shepherds. Why? Because... We are all worthless without Jesus, right? We need, that's why we need Jesus. And it was pointing us, they were pointing Israel to a time when they would have a better shepherd. I'm going to read Ezekiel 34, 
verses, I said one through 10, it's probably just gonna really be like the first five verses. It'll be on the screen. Israel, uh, Ezekiel 34, starting in verse one. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. It hasn't changed. Nothing has changed in Israel from this, from this text in Ezekiel to when Jesus is on the scene. Nothing has changed. These, these Jewish leaders have put a yoke upon the Israelites. They have put a yoke that no one can bear. That's why Jesus calls them hired hands. They don't care about the sheep. They're, they've put a yoke of legalism on the shoulders of the Jewish people and they're, they're benefiting from it financially. It, it's good for these hired hands, these Jewish leaders, to keep the Jewish people under that yoke of legalism. Because think about the temple. Why did Jesus clear the temple out? Jesus cleared the temple out because the people were robbing the sheep. They put a yoke of this sheepfold of empty religion upon the shoulders of the Jewish people. And by the way, you shouldn't listen. If you go back in the text, if you go back in the text, it says, a stranger they will not follow. Listen, if, if, if somebody is not opening their Bible, you should not follow them. They're not a shepherd. If somebody's not preaching the gospel, you should not follow them. If people are saying things that don't line up with God's word, they're not a shepherd. That's why we at this church take our eldership seriously. Because, because those elders, they are under shepherds under Jesus. They are responsible for the souls of the sheep. And that is a weighty, weighty task. That is why... Right? When, when, we saw, when we saw Ezekiel, con, God through Ezekiel condemning them, notice at least twice in that text, they weren't feeding the sheep. The reason why we open up the Bible every week is because we're feeding the sheep. A shepherd feeds the sheep. Second point why Jesus is the good shepherd. Why Jesus is the good shepherd. We're gonna go back to verses three and four to start. Jesus is the good shepherd because he leads the sheep out of the sheepfold of empty, dead legalism. 
Verse three says this, to him, that is the shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, his own, right? When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice, right? He calls his Jewish followers, his Jewish sheep, out of the sheepfold of empty religion. So let's talk about this just a little bit. The relationship between a shepherd and the sheep, okay? It was a close relationship. Let's talk about the sheepfold too. So there are two words in the, in the New Testament for sheepfold, okay? And two Greek words. And there's one that's like a private sheepfold and then there's one that's a communal sheepfold, okay? The one that's used here is a communal sheepfold. So a shepherd maybe was, has been walking for a long way, needed to stop, maybe needed to rest overnight, needed to eat something. What he would do is he would bring his sheep to this communal sheepfold and and the sheep would be in there with multiple other flocks of sheep, okay? And, and in the morning, when he rises to go back to the sheepfold to get his sheep, he would call them by name. Come here, long tail. <laughs> come here, fluffy. And they would come. And they would follow him. And they would walk behind him. He didn't need to round him up with a horse or get a shepherd dog or anything like that. All he had to do was call the sheep, and they came. And I love this picture of this because in Acts chapter 9, this literally happened. Paul is on the road to Damascus, and Jesus literally calls him by name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, what, Lord? Yeah, right. Jesus calls his sheep. He calls them. He called Paul out of the sheepfold of empty legalism. Remember what Paul was. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He was, according to the law, he was blameless, right? Jesus called him out of that legalism. He called him out of that sheepfold to himself. Paul heard it. He heard his name and he came. Second thing, Jesus is the good shepherd because he loves the sheep. Verse 14, I know my own and my own know me. This is really, really important. Let's, let's read verse 15 as well. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. The word know there isn't just like a, a surface knowledge, like I know that it's raining outside, right? It, the word know is a deep, intimate love and knowledge for each other. It's experiential knowledge of one another, okay? It's Adam knew Eve, that type of knowing, okay? It's intimate. And that's what Jesus says about his sheep, He loves them because he's the owner of them, right? Un unlike the hired hand who doesn't own the sheep, the good shepherd is the owner of his sheep. And that's, com and that's why he loves them. And, th and that's, that's in direct contrast to the hired hand who cares nothing for the sheep. He knows them because they are his. 
We, we see later in the book of, in chapter 10, it's because the father has given them to him. He has given him the sheep. And notice it does not say, this is really important. Notice that it does not say that the sheep know about the shepherd. That's a huge difference. A huge difference. So I, I was listening to a sermon this week on this text. And this guy said something extremely poignant and sobering. He said this. There will be people in hell that know more about Jesus than some people in heaven. Say that again. There will be people in hell that know more about Jesus than people in heaven. As a theology guy, that scares me to death. Because I, I can say, I teach about, I teach the Bible. I teach Christology to seventh graders. I know a lot about Jesus. But that's not enough. That's not the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. The sheep and the shepherd have a deep, rich, experiential love for one another. Do you, do I know, know the good shepherd? The one who laid down his life for the sheep. Do you, do you know Jesus? Do you know him that he lived a perfect life that you could never live? Do you know that he died in your place for your sins that you committed, that you deserve? And that he was raised to have victory over sin and death. Do you know him or do you just know about him? What are you dealing with this morning? Is there, is there unrepentant sin in your life? Is there tragedy happening? Hardships? Take heart. Take heart this morning. Your shepherd has not only known you, he has foreknown you. He has known you before the world ever began. He's known every sin that you would commit. He's known every trage tragedy that you would walk through. Take heart. Come to the good shepherd. Third thing, Jesus is the good shepherd because he unifies the sheep. He unifies the sheep. In verse 16, we see that he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So, so I've, I've made the case that that first sheepfold that's mentioned in verse one of chapter 10, that that is the people of Israel. That is the Jewish sheepfold. But there's another fold, right? Here's a second fold that the good shepherd is talking about now. And he must bring them also. So, so there are people outside of Israel that the father has given to the good shepherd. And he's gonna bring them too. Right? The gospel was never meant, Jesus was never meant to just be the Messiah of the Jews. He, he, has been, he has been given people from every tongue and tribe 
and nation. He has, shep- he has sheep from every part of the world. And he's, bring- he's going to bring them too. But it started with the Jewish people. It was, he was their Messiah to begin with. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends the apostles out to go and preach. But he tells them, don't go to the Gentile cities. Don't go to the Samaritans. Only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But then, when we get to the book of Acts, in chapter 1, he tells his apostles, stay here in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the world, right? So, so Jesus, the good shepherd, has sheep from everywhere. And he's going to bring them too. They will hear his voice. What, a, what an amazing thing this is. The, the providence of God is unbelievable. Paul a man who was stuck in this sheepfold of empty legalistic religion was called by God to become a sheep and then he's the one who goes and preaches to the Gentiles. He's the one and goes and establishes churches throughout the Gentile world. This man who was, a, who was stuck in legalism, God called him by name, called him out of that, And then he used Paul to go and take the gospel to the Gentile peoples. He's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. Because he leads the sheep out of the fold of dead religion. It's because he knows and loves the sheep because he owns them. And because he unifies the sheep. There will be no Methodist in heaven. There will be no Baptist in heaven. There will be no Presbyterians in heaven. There is one flock and there's only one shepherd. There's only one flock. And and he is a beautiful shepherd. I want to read something from Charles Spurgeon. This This is a perfect summation to me of why Jesus is the good shepherd. There is more in Jesus, the good shepherd, than you can pack away in a shepherd. He is the good, the great, the chief shepherd, but he is much more. Emblems to set him forth may be multiplied as the drops of dew in the morning, but the whole multitude will fail to reflect all his brightness. Creation is too small a frame in which to hang his likeness. Human thought is too contracted, human speech too feeble, to set him forth to the full. He is inconceivably above our conceptions. He is unutterably above our utterances. That's the good shepherd. That is why when Jesus called Lazarus, he came. That's why when he called Paul, he came. That's why when he called you, you came. The beauty of Jesus, the good shepherd, is undeniable. The call of the good shepherd is always effectual. The grace of the good shepherd is irresistible. The excellence of the good shepherd is exponential. 
This morning, this day, Jesus bids you repent and come to him, sheep. Third section. Our eternal life and him leading us out to pasture is based on the atoning death and the victorious resurrection of the good shepherd. Look at verses 17 and 18 with me. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, the love that Jesus has for the sheep and his willingness to lay down his life for the sheep is not based on the sheep. It's not based on anything within you. His willingness to lay down his life for the sheep, his willingness to give up his life for the sheep is based on his eternal love for the Father. And praise God, it's not about us. It can't be about us. We are stiff-necked, fickle human beings, stiff-necked sheep. That's why, we're, that's why he refers to us as sheep, because we're stupid. We wander our own way. Isaiah 53 says it. All we like sheep have gone astray, having turned each one of us to his own way. We want to do our own thing. His willingness to lay down his life for us, for the sheep, is not based on you or anybody else. It is rooted in the eternal triune Godhead and the love that moves within the Trinity in eternity past. It has to be. Jesus laid down his life. If you ask any Christian why, why the cross happened, why did Jesus go to the cross? Most people would say something like, to die for my sins or to save me, or to keep me from going to hell, or something like something along those lines. Guess what Jesus says? Now, all of those things are true, mind you. Let's not say that those things are all true, but what does Jesus say the purpose of his crucifixion is here? Why, did he, why does he lay down his life? Well, he lays it down so that he can take it up again. He died so that he could rise, right? I, I think that... In, in this Christian evangelical world, right, we get so focused on Jesus dying for our sins and, and, the, and Jesus dying for this, right? But, but here's, the, here's the thing. We got no hope if the resurrection doesn't happen. We got no hope. The resurrection is the confirmation that the Father accepted the perfect sacrifice of the Son for the sheep. In behalf of the sheep, either the sheep die or the shepherd dies. We got no hope apart from the resurrection. And the resurrection points us to a future time when we will follow in his footsteps as we are resurrected. Jesus conquered death not for himself only. He conquered death for us. 
The resurrection is necessary. And the beautiful thing is, Jesus is God. He, he could have called down a thousand angels, but he didn't. He had authority. That word authority means that he was in control of the situation the whole time. He had authority to lay it down. He had authority to take it up again. They didn't kill Jesus. He allowed himself to be killed because he loves the sheep. Right? These, you, you see them. They're picking up stones to stone him. They can't. Why? Because he's not ready to lay down his life yet. It's not that time. No one takes his life from him. He says, I lay it down of my own accord. He didn't have to, right? He did it of his own accord because of his love for the Father. The good shepherd wields a sword, number four, verses 19 through 21. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So, so why did I talk about a sword? It's because Jesus didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. Right? The gospel divides. Jesus talked about how mother will be put pit against daughter. Son will be pit against father, right? The gospel is divisive, man. It's divisive because you see it throughout the whole, everything that we're going through in this series. What's happening? You have some people that are hearing the truth and they're bucking up against it, man. And then you have some people that are hearing the truth and they're believing it, right? That's why the crowds are always divided. It's because some are sheep and they will follow, but some are not sheep, and Jesus is clear to the Pharisees later on. Look at, verse, look at verse 24. This is this is just crazy. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? Okay. <laughs> if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Okay pretty sure they're not hearing, right? They don't have ears to hear. And he tells them why. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. You see, when the sheep hears the shepherd's voice, they always come. His voice is irresistible to the sheep. It's irresistible grace if you're a tulip person, right? It's the eye and tulip, right? When Jesus speaks and his sheep hear, they come always. And they, and they won't go to another shepherd either. They've done, they've done multiple like, experiments where, where an, a separate shepherd will come and try to call another man's sheep, and they don't come. They only hear the voice of their shepherd, Jesus, when he calls his sheep, they always come. Why? Because we see him for who he is. We see him as the beautiful shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. 
My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The father and the shepherd, the son, are working from one nature to bring all of the sheep into the fold and keep them there. And once we are there, we are protected for eternity. So this morning, I bid you come to the good shepherd. Hear his voice and follow him. And he will lead you out to pasture. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have called through the shepherd you, those that have given you have given to the shepherd. I pray for every soul in this room that if, if they have not followed the shepherd, that, that they would hear his voice today and would come to him and follow him out to pasture. And for those of us that are, shep are sheep and we are following the shepherd, maybe we need to be guided back on the path a little bit by the staff of the shepherd. We pray that you would do that as well this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus, the good shepherd, amen.